Our gospel reading for this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me, Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wing, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Please be seated. Let us pray. Dear God, gather us in. Gather us here under the shadow of your wing. Warm us, protect us, guard us, and guide our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Heifers and goats and rams and turtle doves, pigeons, foxes, and hens. Oh my! Heifers, goats, rams, turtle doves, pigeons, foxes, and hens. Oh my! I feel like I'm in an alternate version of the Wizard of Oz this morning with all of these uh, animals and imagery from our readings today. We have a veritable menagerie of animals in our readings for today, both of which are a bit odd. First, God makes a covenant with Abraham as a sign of their pact that Abraham gets all these animals, slices some in half, and lays them out in two lines. And then, while Abraham is sleeping, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between them. In our gospel, Jesus likens himself to a mother hen, wishing he could gather Jerusalem like so many chicks under his wings. These are the kinds of readings that you might pass right over when you're reading the Bible on your own, but here they are assigned in the lectionary for the second Sunday in Lent. So what are we to make of them? Faced with these readings, I was reminded of some wisdom from my New Testament professor, Pat Tiller, who would tell us to pay close attention to these kinds of strange passages. He would say that the harder the reading, the more difficult to translate, the more strangely worded, the stranger the story, the closer it is to the original. Basically, he said, they're weird for a reason. The Bible contains stories that were told and retold, written and rewritten over thousands of years. And it would not be uncommon that in that process, for the stories and the writing to be refined and smoothed over and edited. And sometimes the biblical writers would do that to one another, as we see how Matthew and Luke adapt and refine stories from the Gospel of Mark. And there were also different copies of the Bible, written on papyrus then, which all had minor differences. The more difficult translations were preferable, even if they were harder to understand or translate, because they were considered closer to the original text. It's kind of like editing your kid's book report, which I was helping with this week. It's so tempting to smooth it all out, to remove the repeated ideas, clean up the grammar and punctuation, and while it often makes for a better read, it's a fine line because some of the original intention gets lost along the way. 
And so the harder, the weirder the passage, the more likely it is closer to the author's original intention. Often these passages, which at first glance seem to be relics of history and seem to have little to say, bear the most fruit when we get into them. And it got me thinking about the wisdom of this for our own lives and how it is often the hard and difficult places in our lives that, if we stick with them, yield the biggest blessing. It reminded me of something that pastor author uh, Nadia Boltz Weber once said, that it is the jagged edges of our lives which we try to smooth over, that God and others can grab hold of and connect with us. She says, it just so happens that the jagged edges of our humanity are what actually connects us to one another. Wounds and failures and misconceptions and mistakes, those are the things that actually create enough texture on us that God and our fellow human beings have something to grab onto. And the same can be said for these readings. It is their unusual nature that gives us places to hold onto and enter in. So what do Abraham and his animals have to teach us this morning about God meeting us at the jagged edges? Quite a lot, it turns out, which Rob Bell explains in his book, What is the Bible?, in a chapter called Smoking Fire Pots. He says that this cutting the animals in half and making two rows with an aisle in the middle was an ancient way of making a contract, a covenant. In fact, this is where the phrase cut a deal comes from, from this passage. And this is how it would work. He says that the two people making a contract or covenant would take the animals, cut them in half, put them in two rows creating an aisle, stand side by side, and say what they're going to do. They then walk between the halves of the animals while they said something like this, may I become like these animals if I fail to uphold my end of the covenant. In earlier cultures where systems of justice and enforcement were more primitive and in some cases non-existent, your word was your bond. Rituals like these were the glue, the bond, the insurance, the way that people trusted each other, the way that society held together. So how come God doesn't have to tell Abraham what to do with the animals? Because Abraham already knew what to do. He and God are entering into a covenant. They are cutting a deal. And so Abraham does what people in his day did in situations just like this. And then it says a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared to Abram and passed between the pieces. The fire pot is the presence of God, and God passes through the animals alone. In this story, God is the only one who passes through. And so the story starts with something familiar that people did all the time, but then takes an unexpected turn. In the story, God commits to upholding both ends of the deal. Even if Abraham fails to do his part, that God would be faithful. Abraham is being invited to trust God, to believe that God is good and has his best interests in mind and will be faithful to him even if Abraham makes a mess of things. This is a story about a human being having a relationship with a living God. And Bell says this was the brand new idea in human history at that time. Previously in the ancient Near East, there was not just one God. And here's where my ancient Near East class finally comes in handy. 
There were many gods in this time. Think about the pantheon of the Greek and the Roman gods that you learn about in school. There was a similar kind of pantheon in religions in the ancient Near East. Gods who needed to be served and sacrificed to. Gods who were capricious and childish, petulant, vengeful, and vindictive. But in this story, we hear about this one God, the God of the universe, and that this God is going to do something for Abraham and promises to do it even if Abraham screws up, which, by the way, he does sometimes in spectacular fashion. Bell says it's about a particular kind of relationship with a particular kind of God, one who is good and kind and generous, one who can be trusted, one who keeps insisting, trust me, I got this. And this is what God says to us in our lives. Trust me. I got this. You are jagged and rough. You screw up and make a mess of things. But the good news is that it all doesn't depend on you. As it did for Abraham, it all depends on the promises of God. That's what Lutherans mean when we say we are justified by God's grace through faith. God loves, forgives, and saves us not because of what we have done, not because we have fulfilled our end of some contract, but because God is God. And God is love, God is forgiveness, and God is grace, and God has promised. There is nothing that we can do to earn it, nothing that we can do to lose it. God loves us completely, totally, perfectly, and eternally. And keep, God keeps on loving us, forgiving us, and saving us. The story of Abraham and our story is about grace, trust, love, and hope. And having been loved so deeply, having been giving everything, we can love and serve others not to fulfill our side of the deal, but out of gratitude that God has already done it. In much the same way, we see Jesus lamenting over Jerusalem. Later on at Holy Week, he will triumphantly enter on Palm Sunday, cleanse the temple, have his last supper, be betrayed, handed over, tried, beaten, and crucified. But for now, he looks over the city of Jerusalem and says, How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wing. Jesus wants to gather the people of Jerusalem under this wing like a mother hen and protect them from that fox Herod and all the other foxes of the world. But they refuse. They refuse the shelter of his wings. They don't listen. They aren't willing to accept him. He calls to them, but they reject him. Even the adoring crowds that followed him everywhere and oohed and awed over their, his miracles would eventually turn on him. At his trial, the crowd of people there chose to release Barabbas, a bandit, instead of Jesus. His number one disciple, P Peter, denied him. The story of the life of Jesus, even with its miracles and wonders, is finally a story of rejection, of which the cross is the ultimate symbol. He came to them as one of them but they did not accept him. And even still on the cross, he will spread out his arms on the cross to embrace them and the whole world. He will gather them in through his solidarity in their suffering and bring new life out of death through his resurrection. On the cross, Jesus fulfills both sides of the contract, the covenant. Jerusalem, who was not willing, is embraced, saved, and redeemed not through what they had done, but because of who God is. Jesus fulfilled both sides of the deal 
by laying down his life for us. That is where we are headed this Lent. Lent is not about giving up or taking on so that we can smooth out all of our rough edges so that we can fulfill our end of the bargain. I don't know about you, but keeping my Lenten discipline is just a reminder of how imperfectly I keep it and how tenuous are my resolutions. But it is those jagged edges which we work so hard to smooth and hide. It is those jagged edges, those things left done and undone, the wounds and the scars, the places where we are vulnerable and weak. These are the places that God meets us, God heals us, and God saves us. These are the places where God comes to us now and says, trust me, I got this. Amen.